Good morning to you, 8.18, and here we are with our radio salon, just uh, welcoming here into the studio Mr. Zhang Huang and Professor Cho Hee-kyung. Uh, Mr. Huang being independent legal researcher at Law Quant LLC, and Professor Cho being of Hongik University Law. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Now, it's difficult for many of us, I'm sure, when we hear a, a piece of classical music, as we just have, to, to perhaps place or recall exactly where that comes from. But no, Professor Chol, you're perfectly aware, aren't you? I am. Yes, you are. <laughs> Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 2 in F major, uh, and Johann Sebastian Bach, the composer. By none other than the person who, whom we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about. But first, um, I mean, this is our radio salon. For anyone who's new to our show, it's... An opportunity, a gathering of intellectuals, you might say, uh, the purpose of exchanging knowledge and uh, creative ideas through this discourse that we have the opportunity to spend a bit more time on. Um, and we ask you, our distinguished guests, to introduce the topic. So Professor Chor will tell us why we're talking about Bach beyond our theme music in a few moments. Uh, but first, Mr. Huang, can you tell us... Um, what you want to talk about today. Yeah, rather than talking about the exalted topic of you know, classical music, let me turn to the banal U.S. political topic. Um, many of you might have heard that uh, U.S. Special Counsel Robert Mueller concluded his investigation on Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election and delivered this report la last week. And the U.S. Attorney General William Barr released a summary of the report two days later. The biggest news was that the investigation, quote, did not establish the members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities, unquote. However, Mueller did note that it is conclusive that Russia did interfere in the election. On the other hand, Mueller's investigation did not take a position on whether Trump obstructed justice by trying to frustrate ongoing investigations. Attorney General Burr instead wrote that he concluded that the findings of the special counsel were, quote, not sufficient to establish the pre president committed an obstruction of justice offense, unquote. Overall, the outcome represents a significant political win for President Trump, which this makes impeachment of President Trump quite unlikely, while there will be ongoing political battles over how much of the report to, to make public and whether the judgment over obstruction of justice was you know, suitable, there is no doubt that political fortunes of the Trump presidency are looking up, at least for the time being. So I, I suppose, you know, the political, U.S. political issues might be really interesting for people who are interested in the topic. On the other hand, for those of us living in South Korea, you might wonder, well, what does it really have to do with us? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean it's a story that has drawn in the, the globe's attention. But let's start with that question then for you, Mr. Huang. Like, why should we care so much? How does this directly impact South Korea? So one thing is, you know, obviously President Trump has been uh, engaged in this ongoing uh, negotiation over North Korean nuclear issue. And one position you could take is that, well, this is you know, purely American domestic issue and has really nothing to do with how he deals with North Korea. 
However, one point I suppose that we, we should point out is that a lot of people you know, from various political spectrums kind of worry that you know, we might see sudden reversals in President Trump's policy and attitude towards North Korea, depending on how his domestic political fortunes fare. And we did actually know that during the Hanoi summit, he, we saw that he was paying close, close attention to you know, hearings on his former fixer, Michael Cohen. So at least with his politi- politi- political fortunes, a little bit more fortified, we might be actually a little relieved that, hey, now that his domestic stature, political stature is a little on a firmer ground, he might not revert to you know, sudden reversals in his position. So perhaps this is a good news for South Korea. Well, Professor Cho, yeah. Actually, yes, it's a little bit tragic that the fate of almost 80 million people basically depend on you know, the mood of one, one person, but that's how things seem to be at the moment. And in a way, I am... Uh, glad that uh, the report has at least seems to have exonerated President Trump, although they're not really saying that. Um, they haven't really found evidence one way or another, or they haven't found sufficient evidence to uh, say that people in his campaign colluded with Russia, but they, on the charges of, obstru- of, of obstruction, they just haven't found enough evidence to s- um, conclude one way or the other. But Isn't there a lot of questions still remaining about um, Mueller's report? And also because what we know at this stage really just comes from the summary given by Attorney General Barr of the Mueller report. Yeah. Would you say, Mr. Huang, it's fair to say, drawing on what Professor Cho was saying there, that if, if you're a Trump fan, you're celebrating this as clearing his name. If you're not a Trump fan, you're kind of thinking, well, they just weren't quite able to dig up enough dirt to, that somehow they've been able to cover this up. Right. I mean, the biggest thing is that you know, that's exactly how the political narratives in the U.S. is uh, developing one on the uh, you know, kind of conservative side, Trump supporting side, the other on the kind of the, you know, anti-Trump side. And it is crucially important that you know, we don't have the actual report. And you know, it kind of puts a lot of us in an awkward position having to speculate about what this investigation was really about without really you know, delving into the actual text. And you know, William Barr, the attorney general who provided a four-page summary of the report, is not exactly you know, a third-party independent uh, person in this whole affair. He, last year, he was sort of, before he became attorney general, he made a little bit of a stir after it was found out that he penned a note, a memo, to the Department of Justice saying that the president cannot be uh, charged with obstruction of justice. So he he has made his uh, views known before even the investigation uh, was concluded. Do, do, what do you think, Professor Cho, especially with your legal background, do you, do you feel that the whole thing was a waste of time and money, this exercise that's possibly proven to be fruitless? No, I, I don't think, I mean, this is something that they had to do, really, because the fact is that um, there's no denial in the report that Russia did influence the election. And so, essentially, an enemy state uh, influenced the outcome of a really, really important vote by the people in America. And so they did have to investigate this. The fact that they didn't find sufficient evidence to you know, uh, prove a connection between the campaign and Russia doesn't necessarily mean that there were there, there wasn't anything wrong with the election. And so I think this is still a challenge that remains 
as to what they're going to do about the outcome. And yeah, just expect, quickly though, yeah. is it fair game to try and influence another country's election? Uh, it's not you're not bound by their laws, and if you can go online and try and influence people's opinions, or indeed if you're Russia right now trying to organise a summit with Chairman Kim Jong Un, if you can throw a you know, spanner in the works and get away with it. It's not like you can be sued in American court for that. That's true. Is it fair game uh, by other countries to interfere <laughs> in domestic politics? Yeah, given well, that that happens. In, in terms of international law, you know, if you respect sovereignty, it's actually precisely what you're not supposed to do uh, mm. because the fundamental rule of international law is that you don't interfere in domestic politics of another country. Um, and so is it fair game... Uh, strategically, countries might think that, and obviously we have had numerous examples of instances where uh, more powerful countries have tried to influence domestic politics of other countries. But uh, in terms of uh, law, uh, it's not fair game. No, but we, it's just that, unfortunately, or for better or worse, we see it all the time. Absolutely. And, right. and the US, of course, has got a long record of trying to help other countries but people would criticize that from the other side is interfering with uh, with other countries domestic processes mr huang what's your view on that well also you know i think another key point is that whether any laws apart from international law of non-interference any laws were broken i mean you know uh, computer files were uh, fire files were hacked the emails were stolen and then disseminated you know russian involvement is uh is suspected i mean all those were clearly you know the, the, the u.s domestic laws were broken so that's why you know a number of uh, the russian entities and uh, persons are under indictment in the united states Mr. Huang and Professor Cho, please stay with us. We'll continue our radio salon after a brief break. But just to recap, we are talking about the Mueller investigation, not bringing any indictment forward against, say, President Trump, which uh, some people had hoped that perhaps this might lead to even impeachment proceedings. But um, it looks like President Trump's off the hook for Russia collusion. Does that mean he's off the hook entirely? We'll visit that question very shortly. Uh, we'll also perhaps talk a little more about how this affects things on the peninsula. President Trump's recent tweet warmed up North Korea again. Could this be a good thing in that respect? Good morning, 8.30. Welcome back to our radio salon with Mr. Zhang Huang, independent legal researcher at Lokwad LLC and Professor Choi Kyung from Hong University Law. Both of you, once again, good morning. Hi again. Hello there. Thanks for being here. I, I imagine when we say radio salon, we conjure up the image that suddenly we've entered a new world, especially with our Bach music that we play uh, to open up the segment. And we're going to return to the subject of Bach. In fact this half hour. But first, we continue with the Mueller investigation, the impact on South Korea, even, from the situation surrounding President Trump. And, and Mr. Huang, I, I sort of left the question hanging. Does this mean President Trump's legal troubles are over? Not at all. But, you know, first of all, I think the worst case scenario that you know, Trump administration was fearing, you know, before the Mueller uh, report was finalized was that, you know, either President Trump himself might be indicted 
uh, you know, that, that would be a, a huge deal. But even going short of that, if anyone within his you know, family, you know, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, right. uh, his son, Junior, you know, they had you know, various de- uh, meetings with Russians. If any of them might be under, uh, under indictment. And you know, even before the summary was released, one big victory that came in, in uh, President Trump's way was that no additional indi- indictments by Mueller team was going, were going to be filed. So already we kind of knew that going into uh, to the last weekend that you know this was going to be you know fairly good weekend in the in the sense that you know none of the Trump family will be you know uh, under indictment. I I actually wondered how much of it was a sort of judicious political decision on the part of uh, the special counsel too, because obviously he's there to do his job, but he doesn't necessarily want to. Um, make further divisiveness uh, in the country. So I know that he's some, well, I I heard on the news that he interviewed some 2,800 witnesses. Huge number, right. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that he, you know, this was all summarized in just a four-page report, a summary report by uh, general counsel, I mean, the attorney general, it, it... one can only speculate how much of it has been left out uh, in that summary and how much of it must be followed through uh, in other jurisdictions. If this was Korea, you'd really suggest that it's very likely that Trump would face repercussions after leaving office at the very least. We've seen Im Young bak for example, uh, recently having to be bailed out president Pakenhae, former president Pakenhae, in prison currently, and of course Chandawan has faced recent uh, legal imp- implications. If, for example, there was a a mood for it in the U.S. in the future, do you think um, post office President Trump will have to face? Repercussions. I, I think it's most probable. I mean, most likely. What, what do you think, Mr. Hong? Well, legally possible. I think it'll be a political decision. I mean, uh, just to know there are you know other investigations going on other than the Mueller inve- investigation that really you know touches on Trump presidency and his past business uh, dealings as well as his current uh, business dealings. So uh, you know this. Uh, in fact, might actually you know give uh, uh, President Trump a little bit of a push to you know towards his re-election campaign since he thinks that you know as long as you can put it off further into the future unlike that that the possibility becomes less likely and if we can really enter the realm of speculation i don't know if either of you want to take this question on but do you think it's likely he's going to see another term but based on this out i mean okay so related to this outcome does the Mueller investigation make it more or less likely do you think well, I mean, the election is still, you know, almost two years away. You know, it will be held in November 2020. So I think the memory might be, memory of the, the this particular moment might be a little faint. Just the fact that he's, he'll be an incumbent and the fact that U.S. economy is relatively strong. So if he stays strong, you know, for those f- two facts alone, you sort of have to say that he might probably has a slightly better than a uh, you know, 50-50 chance of getting elected. Unless, of course, the R word, the recession word starts to become more of a specter but like you said that's a big question professor chaw that's true um but the even at the height of the investigation where where there was so much suspicion against him there was still at least around 40 percent of the american population who were behind him right so 
I think there is every, every possibility that he will run again as the Republican candidate. And the question is, how strong will the Democratic candidate yeah, be? We have absolutely no idea at this point who's going to stand up against him. Right. Now, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask both of you was whether we should be secretly, at least for now, celebrating or cheering Trump on from a Korean perspective. This is a man who seems to still have a huge level of influence over North Korea. Um, or at least, if I may present Exhibit A, uh, North Korea pulls out its star from the inter-Korean liaison office. Nothing to do with the US directly. That was last week, last Friday. Then on Monday, North Korean staff return. What changed in the meantime? Well, perhaps South Korea sent a few messages forward, but President Trump sent out that tweet. Uh, and not only did he send out a tweet saying that he was cancelling sanctions, which are kind of mysterious because it wasn't clear which sanctions he was referring to, but nonetheless, we then saw his spokesperson Sarah Sanders come out saying he likes Chairman Kim, he doesn't see the need for sanctions right now, or more sanctions anyway. So based on that description that I've tried to summarize as succinctly as possible. Do you feel this is good for South Korea? Well, I think it's good in the sense that I think it's very unlikely that it's, it will be from President Trump to ramp up kind of conflict vis-a-vis you know, -vis North Korea. On the other hand, I think that you know the very uh, incident that you, uh, you described is sort of kind of emblematic of how Trump administration is still dealing with North Korea. It, you know, the very latest reporting suggests that it turns out what he was referring to was you know, sanctions imposed on two Chinese companies for shipping materials to North Korea and kind of, you know, his advisors kind of made up saying that, well, he was cancelling some other mysterious sanctions, but there were no additional sanctions to be announced. So I, I, I think this kind of, you know, kind of, you know, Go, go, going about it in a very extemporaneous manner will continue. And so, frankly, I don't think that could, this manner of negotiation would be very successful. Yeah, well, it is bizarre. Th that's true. But at the same time, mm. the fact that he's under less domestic pressure doesn't mean that he can sort of make more of those grandiose gestures and perhaps, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, kind of drive the sanction in his own way rather than having to listen to the, uh, the domestic opposition voices. Yeah, it's true to say that the Hanoi summit, you know, we had this home scandal very much front, right. left and centre yes. in the global media while the mm -hmm. Hanoi summit was ongoing. Exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. he even mentioned, uh, as Mr. Huang already pointed out, Michael Cohen's investigation uh, specifically, right? That's right. In the interview. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both of you for contributing to that endlessly fascinating topic but it continues to play out and we'll watch that space for now if i can turn to you professor Cho, mm. we're talking about johann sebastian bach i cannot remember talking about him ever on the radio before do you know um when we perhaps it was the first or the second week of doing the radio salon and we were sort of discussing what kind of topics we might you know bring up mm. in the salon and you said oh anything but Baroque music, and I thought, well, I'll have to take up the challenge one day. <laughs> yeah, well, please, please do, because you know, don't let my own ignorance get in the way of a good story. I, I wouldn't say you're <laughs> ignorance, but given that um, what we normally take as Bach's birthday was last week, in fact, twenty first of March, um, I thought we could sort of link that with the, with the recent storm in a teacup about the Google Doodle about Bach's music, um, but. Given that we have a little bit 
more time, why not actually talk about him and his life and how and why he's still relevant to us to this day. Yeah, I love the fact we can do that with this segment, by the way. Right. We can talk a bit more. It's, it's almost sort of podcast-esque. We can reflect a little <laughs> further and, and I'm sure learn in an inspiring way more about this figure who I know you're a big fan of as well, Professor Absolutely. Chong. You know, he, he's like the god of music, at least for me. Um, so he's known, I, I mean, most people celebrate his birthday uh, on the 21st of March, but now thanks to um, the writers on this show, I found out that that's according to the old Julian calendar. Yeah, when I heard about this, I was thinking... Yeah, you know, if we can't get Bach's birthday right, how can we expect it to to solve the debate over Christmas Day, for example, or oh, any of the other big that, dates in history? That's absolutely true. Yes, <laughs> but um, so when you actually sort of mentioned at the beginning of the the hour, you know, upcoming birthday, I thought hmm, that's not quite right. But actually, according to the Gregorian calendar, it's uh, it actually falls on the thirty first of March. So right. uh, for those people who've missed it last week, we can still celebrate. <laughs> upcoming uh, birthday Sounds of good. Bach. This actually, this year marks the 334th birthday of Johann Sebastian Bach. So he was actually born kind of um, bridging between the the almost the sort of medieval uh, and Baroque era, but ushering in modernity uh, in his times. And um, since a few years ago, there was a a lone cellist in New York who started this thing called Bach in the Subway. And so he took his cello uh, to a New York, New York subway station. You sort of can imagine the setting. I, I lots love and that. Lots of people. I, and just started playing yeah. the, um, the Bach cello suite. There was a movie a few years ago. I'll, I'll look it up if you haven't seen it. Did you recall it was a, a lone cellist playing? publicly and 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 I think Bach just sounds brilliant with a lone cello. There's actually cello quite a lot of movies setting. with cellists playing. But this was a, it was like an urban setting. Oh right. In, okay. in the US. Right. I'll I'll let you know in a second. But okay. anyway, please continue. Not not Yo-Yo Ma. No. Okay. Anyway, so he actually started a worldwide um, movement uh, for Bach enthusiasts to join him playing the music uh, in the subway on his birthday. So uh, it's actually sort of been going on in Korea as well since around 2012-13. And I happened to, or I was lucky enough to participate in one of those events. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, Google also commemorated this event by coming up with a Bach artificial intelligence composing um, doodle (laughs) and so what you could do is it was just um, sort of two short bars of uh, melody you could kind of make you make up your own by putting notes uh, on or writing down notes on the stave and then um, the software would go away and come up with a contrapuntal harmony to the melody that you have written um, because the AI has been fed the entire collection of Bach's music and then analyzed it and decided how it was going to you know, complete your harmony for you. But it came actually under a lot of flack or criticism by Bach scholars because th- they were saying this sounds nothing like Bach 
And I was actually intrigued when I first saw that doodle on that day, on the 21st of March. And so I tried it out by bringing a couple of melodies. I've tried it out a few times. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it actually didn't really sound much like Bach at all. And I thought perhaps this kind of shows the limits of um, AI and the fact that it can't quite replicate human um, genius. And the fact that... um, That is fascinating. It it is, isn't it? Counterpoint, I mean, contrapuntal music is very regulated, um, very strict kind of form of music in the sense that it has to follow very defined set of rules. But Bach's genius lay in the fact that he knew when to break those rules. And I think that is perhaps the key to why AI cannot really replicate, you know, Bach's style uh, in that way. But anyway, so... I've um, found out the movie that I was referring to, by the way. Okay. So it was a 2009 movie, The right. Soloist. The Soloist, right. Okay. And I and if anyone... I mean, it, I, I remember watching it on a plane and I, I was really moved by it, but it's only got 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb and it, it starred uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx was a homeless man playing a two-string violin oh, initially. Oh, right. Okay. I vaguely recall that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. just ni- nice to see classical music on the screen, getting getting recognition beyond the classical radio stations, the, the sort of compendiums that uh, aficionados like yourself, no doubt, save on a regular basis, Professor Chaw. Not just aficionados, but everybody. I think, you know, Bach's music can be really enjoyed by everyone. Well, that's I, I, I totally agree. And I think that's why those other media-like movies, when they bring you oh wow actually yes I do know that or you know oh that's very familiar you wouldn't necessarily have known who actually composed it and you know even um, popular uh, music or pop singers uh, rock musicians rip off Bach all the time yes that's true like you know Prokol Haram's uh, White Shade of Pale Pale, all that organ music is based on Bach um, toccatas and cantatas Uh, um, a lot of uh, pop music, actually. Do you, do you know another one? Was um, mm-hmm. I actually was listening to uh, Paul McCartney doing an interview about Blackbird. Yes, exactly. And uh, yes. they they were messing around. Mm. They, they were seen, I think, as not being very uh, sort of serious musically, and they were messing around. I think in a studio environment playing Bach, mm-hmm. and then they kind of played it wrong. Mm-hmm. And they ended up with Blackbird, right? And uh, well, I mean, that, they played it wrong, and then I guess liked whatever the tune was that they'd played <laughs> yes. wrong, and then Blackbird was born, yeah. which was more about the civil rights music uh, movement in terms of the content of the lyrics, but the music was Bach inspired. But exactly. but what a shade of pale as well. I, I, but the thing is. Is it ripping off or is it imitating greatness? I don't think either what uh, either Prokel Haram or the Beatles I, are, have any secret I, about being I wasn't being actually inspired. using that phrase "ripping off" in a negative way. Right. In this sense, I, I simply meant the fact that you know they based the music on Bach, and he's long dead, not even covered by copyright anymore. Not not that he even had copyright in his days, which is something else that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so you're completely free to do that yeah well, they say you know imitation is the highest form of praise so i mean i suppose exactly. it, is, it <laughs> yes. can be regarded as anconium but i did have a question professor cho mm-hmm. you said that you actually tried out the uh, the the google's the, Google the doodle, uh, yeah. ai doodle and yeah. it sounded like nothing like bach mm. well is there kind of a unique 
box, unique uh, style that you recognize in the sense that, I, I, for example, I understand that some of the Bach music has been lost. I mean, not all of his music has been preserved by his posterior. So suppose you know, some, some unknown Bach music suddenly turns up and somebody mm. claims that this was composed by Bach but somehow lost, but now we have you know, the transcripts. Would you be able to kind of, you know, just listening to the music that, you know, confirm that it's actually composed by Bach? Um, it's a yes and no answer, I would say, uh, because there is certainly a Bach style. And if you listen to enough uh, of his music, uh, as well as other Baroque composers, you would certainly be able to tell the difference between uh, Bach music and you know, other people like Vivaldi or Corelli or uh, even Handel, um, what have you. But at the same time, a lot of people also composed in the style of Bach, and they were influenced by uh, Bach. And so it, the, the music that you discovered might be uh, someone who was a student of Bach or who was inspired by his music. And so you may not be able to say for certain that it was actually indeed by Bach. Um, there have been instances where old manuscripts uh, of his that were thought to have been lost have turned up. And um, uh, unlike a lot of other composers, there is actually quite a good record of what he did compose. And so we sort of know what's missing from the collection. Um, it's pretty complete, but if it turned up, then I think from those things, you might be able to authenticate whether he, it's his music or not. Mr. Huang, just to get full disclosure from you on this, like where do you stand between myself and Professor Cho on classical music? Do you regularly listen to the greats like Bach? No, absolutely. When it comes to music, I'm probably the last person to you should consult with, you know, whether it is classical music or contemporary pop music. Or maybe then the first person, because you have a human heart. And it's, I I love, I mean, you must be interested, Professor Cho, in in seeing how people who are unfamiliar with this kind of music respond Mm. to it. Exactly. Um, for people who listen to Bach's music for the first time, it, the kind of revelation that you see in their eyes, it's quite uh, almost gratifying, uh, you might say. But I think so many people respond to his, his music because he really wrote for the everyday. I mean, we know him um, for his masses, his church music, his choral music, um, all the organ works, but he actually composed for everyday occasions like birthdays, um, celebrations, weddings, even, you know, professors getting their tenure. Uh, There's actually a really famous cantata called the Coffee Cantata, which is um, an ode to obsession with coffee. And he was... That sounds like very suitable for most of us. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we are short on time, Professor Chuan. I know you've got so much to say about Bach, but but there are a couple of modern... I mean, he was an innovator himself, clearly, but there are a couple of modern issues aside from the Google Doodle thing that we might want to reflect on. Firstly, um, fair remuneration for creators, drawing Mm. what we were saying before about copyright issues, but also even gender equality. Can you kind of summarise those for us? Absolutely. So... You know, Bach, not only was he prolific in music, but he was also very prolific uh, in terms of um, uh, offsprings. And he actually produced 20 children um, from two wives. His first wife died wow. quite um, quite young. And only about 10 of them survived into adulthood. Uh, and the sons 
received a musical education and some of them actually went on to have very successful musical careers like uh, CPE Bach and, and so forth. But all the daughters except one who managed to marry ended up in the poor house after Bach's death. And that's because um, he... Uh, he had to rely on patronage. There was no copyright system, and so he never actually got any remuneration properly for all the music that he created. And you know, that I still enjoy to this to this day. And the gender equality, you know, the fact that daughters were not educated, um, although they had just as much much talent as the sons did, uh, that really sort of shows that even Bach himself was only a man of his times who were not really able to sort of you know shrug off the customs of that day. The, the Bach daughter prodigy that never was, it sounds like not only a tragedy, but perhaps something that could also enter a screen near us soon. Thank you, both of you, for coming in today. Fascinating subject, so different, but you make it seamless. Mr. Wang, good to have you here. Thank you. And Professor Chaw. Thank you. And hopefully that's inspired you to enjoy a bit of Bach. We'll uh, get a chance to listen a little bit further, but uh, we'll continue after these messages. It is uh, just about 8.56. Let me remind you, if you're still planning your day tomorrow, or if you've got a bit of an opening for a change of plans, Men On Air holds an open studio every Thursday on the first floor studio here in Sangamdong of our building, Esplex Centre, if you want to find it on the map. Tomorrow they'll be joined by rapper Kisom and the new Popsicle. That's pop plus musical. A girl group, Pink Lady. Uh, it's an open studio that is open for everyone. You'll be able to watch the broadcast as well through YouTube, a live stream. If you just search for TBS EFM Men On Air on YouTube, you can find that. So either way, enjoy something to look forward to tomorrow. But that's it for our show today. Thanks to our producer, Christina Saw, our writers, Che Kyung-mi, Im Young-ju and Leah Young. We've got Yerika Park with Inside Korea next after your latest news headlines.